And as the workforce becomes more remote, the idea that somebody behind the, the keyboard is not the same person that was in your office is becoming a bigger question. So this idea of zero trust and implementing zero trust frameworks is only going to grow and it's going to become more important. Welcome to the Innovation and in Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Troy Fine. Troy is with a company called Drata, and we're going to explore, and I think a really unique way data security, data protection, risk management, and a wide variety of other topics from an angle that, frankly, I'm not quite sure I've explored before. So, Troy, first of all, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thanks, Tom. I'm, I'm excited to be here, uh, excited for our conversation, and, and to share my insight with your listeners. So, Troy, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Yeah, definitely. So, I started my career, oddly enough, at a, a CPA firm. It was a top 60 CPA firm called Schneider Downs out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And for the last 10 years before I joined Drata a couple months ago, I was performing SOC 2 audits. You might have heard of SOC 2. And I was leading that SOC 2 practice. Prior to joining Drata, the CEO, Adam, also reached out to me in about mid-2020. And I've been kind of advising Drata on how to build their product from an auditor's perspective. So early on in the life of, of Drata, I've been giving my insight letting them know what an auditor might want to see in the product, letting them know what questions auditors ask during an audit, and advising them just from that perspective. Come across to 2021, July, when the opportunity presented itself, uh, I decided to make the leap and come over and, and advise our customers internally. So instead of advising just Drata from the outside, I said, why not come over to this side, share my insight with our customers here, and advise them on getting ready for SOC 2 audit. So take everything I learned from an external auditor perspective, and apply that to our customers internally and helping them prepare. Troy, you've been in risk management for most of your professional career, and I really wanted to ask you, what's the role of audit, external audit, internal audit in risk management? Before we maybe take a deep dive into uh, data security, what, do you, what would you suggest as the overall role of audit in a risk management program? Good question. So I think there's two pieces to that. One is you have external audit, Right. So you have an independent third party assessor coming in, auditing your controls against a security framework, issuing a report and saying, yes, this company meets the security compliance framework or yes, they meet all these requirements, but maybe there's gaps in this area. Right. So that's an external auditor perspective. Then you have what we call internal audit. Right. So internal audit usually works directly for the company. You know, they report maybe to the chief financial officer or maybe to the director of internal audit. And their job is to audit in, from an internal perspective, all the different business units at that company, right? So it might be against security compliance framework. It might be against a financial framework. It could be any compliance or any risk that internal audit identifies as a risk factor that needs to be audited against, right? So internal audit is a lot more involved with the business. They understand the requirements of the business a lot more. They understand where the risks to the business could come up more than an external auditor. And they are really take more of a collaborative approach with the business, right? So internal audit is supposed to identify gaps so the business can remediate these. 
so that when an external auditor comes on board, they don't find these things, right? And then report them, and then everybody gets to see all the gaps, right? So internal audit's supposed to be not implementing the controls, but identifying gaps for the business so, so they're prepared for an external audit. Is there an interaction or interchange between internal audit and external audit? Or are they really separate? Sometimes internal audit will assist the external auditors, right? So technically speaking, internal audit is still an independent entity within the business, right? Even though they work for the company, they're still considered independent because they're not part of management of the controls or management of the risk, right? So internal audit is still an independent party within the business, similar to an external auditor. So a lot of times external auditors, as long as they can get comfort over the independence of the internal auditors, they will work with the internal audit team and have the internal audit team help them perform the audits or rely on some of the testing that internal audit performed already so that they don't maybe have to perform as much testing or they can maybe see some risks that were already identified. And by the way, internal audit identified these and we remediated them already. So internal audit's working, right? So they're kind of validating also that internal audit's doing its job. So I could turn to your professional career a little bit, Troy. What led you into auditing around SOC 2 standards from an external audit perspective? So early on in my career, you might have heard of Sarbanes-Oxley. That was the big requirement that came out of the whole Enron (laughs) fiasco. So I started off my career really in performing audits based on SOX, SOX, Sarbanes-Oxley requirements. And from there, we were auditing IT controls around a financial application, right? When we were doing these audits, or when an external auditor does a financial audit, there's a lot of this risk around third parties, right? So maybe you have a third party that does your payroll, or maybe you have a third party that helps you calculate sales tax. Those numbers that that third party is is calculating impact the financial statements, right? So what happened is the ICPA was like, what about this third party risk? And that's where you might hear SAS 70, SOC 1 audits. That's where those came into play. What eventually happened is the ICPA said, hold on, we don't just care about financial risk. We care about risk of data. So maybe you have third parties that don't have anything to do with your financial statement audit, but they have highly, highly sensitive data that you're giving to them. You need to make sure it's protected. So from there, they created what they call a SOC 2 audit. And basically, when I found out about SOC 2 and saw that it was really focused on cybersecurity and information risk, it's just something that I gravitated towards. I never really wanted necessarily to be a traditional CPA where I did financial audits. I always had a knack for IT, technology, cybersecurity, and I just felt it was a more fun career for me to do than a traditional audit. So when I found out about SOC 2, I decided that's where I wanted to master and that's what I wanted to learn. And and that's where I've been ever since. Well, I was in Houston in 2001, so I'm very familiar with Enron, very familiar with Sarbanes-Oxley, very familiar with SOX 404. But I have to say, you are the first person I have met who evolved into a cybersecurity external audit specialist, starting with Sarbanes-Oxley, so kudos. And now you hold the designation, I'm going to have to read this, Cybersecurity Maturity (laughs) Model Certification Provisional Assessor. What's the significance of that certification and what does that tell the general public about you? Yeah, so that certification, if you're familiar with the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification, CMMC, right now the Department of Defense has, well, it's in limbo right now, but they're reviewing it. But basically, the Department of Defense has a 
rule out there that says that all of their suppliers, all of their contractors that work with the Department of Defense have to be CMMC certified by 2025. Right now is the year. And they're going to roll this out in phases. In order to do these CMMC audits, the DOD needed to find people and qualify auditors to perform these audits. So in the interim period, when they're rolling up this program and building this ecosystem, they came out with this provisional CMMC assessor program. So back in November, I took CMMC provisional assessor training, passed an exam, and I, and I became a CMMC provisional assessor. So once they roll this out, what that means is if somebody wanted to undergo a CMMC certification audit, they're going to need to work with a CMMC certified firm who's then going to have to have CMMC provisional assessors on staff for the time being. So I could actually go out and perform a CMMC audit as long as I was working with a certified assessor firm. That's all that means for now. There are no contracts from the DOD that have that requirement in place, so you can't actually go get a CMMC audit now. But once they roll that out, which I'm thinking might be Q1 of 2022, we might start to see you know, some CMMC audits out there. So many of the listeners to this podcast or in a wide variety of compliance roles, anti-corruption compliance, anti-money laundering, export control, data security, data privacy, really you name, it's as broad as that term might imply. But one of the key concepts across all of those disciplines of compliance are third-party risk. And it sounds like that in your, your former role and indeed your current role, really are focused on helping companies not only assess but equally importantly, manage that third-party risk. So I wanted to use that introduction to ask you about the SOC 2 and then the ISO 2701 requirements for data security. Do those address third-party risk? And are those standards a company could take uh, literally on a worldwide basis if they were audited in, you name it, the place, Western Europe, Central Asia, Asia Pacific, South America, or North America? Yeah, so SOC 2 and ISO 27001 certifications are compliance certifications that are required by a lot of big, large companies. So any large company that has third-party vendors that receive sensitive data, which vendor doesn't receive sensitive data probably, they're going to require all their third parties to have SOC 2 and ISO 20 and or ISO 27001 certification. SOC 2 and ISO are both standards that are recognized across the world. ISO is more specific to the EU since it's a European standard that was created by the uh, ISO standard standard making body. And SOC 2 was made by the AICPA, so it's more accepted probably by U.S. companies and Canadian companies. But either way, it's very recognizable all over the world, and a lot of times they are interchangeable. So if you have ISO 27001, usually that's acceptable, or if you have SOC 2, that's also acceptable for a lot of companies around the world. I'd like to now turn to your work at Drata, and you're the Senior Manager of Cybersecurity Risk Management and Compliance. Could you tell us what that role entails for you currently? Yes. So at Drata entails many hats. We're a young startup, so, so I wear many hats here, but my primary focus is with customer success, right? So a lot of our customers at Drata are preparing for SOC 2, they're preparing for ISO 27001, and they want somebody who's been in the the auditing world to help them guide them through the audit or guide them in preparation for the audit, right? So a lot of our customers have questions on, we have this type of control here. Is this type of control going to be acceptable for SOC 2 or ISO? Or this policy says we need to do this. Is this what an auditor is going to ask for? 
So a lot of times I'm the voice of the auditor, so to speak, because a lot of times our customers don't have that experience of undergoing an audit before. So I kind of help them and advise them through that process. My other role is to help uh, with product strategy. So any new frameworks we're trying to implement, I'll provide my perspective from the compliance world and understanding what an auditor might want to see in our product. Thought leadership is another big area that I focus on, just from my experience in the auditing world and understanding that Drata, at Drata, we're trying to change the compliance landscape by doing continuous control monitoring. That's not a novel, it's not a new thing, but it's a new thing in the audit world. Auditors aren't used to seeing continuous control monitoring when they're doing an audit, so they don't necessarily know how to handle continuous control monitoring when they see it. So that's kind of my role here. It's, it's many hats, but my primary focus is helping customers. One of the things that I find most unique about, about Drata is that you publicly advocate for data security as a core corporate value. I've seen a lot of different corporate values in many different types of compliance, but I've not seen data security as a core corporate value. Could you tell us a little bit about why Drata and, and perhaps yourself see that as a core corporate value and, and how do you help enshrine that in a company's workforce if it is a corporate value? Yeah, so at Drata, integrity and trust are the ethos of our company. You know, we built this product so that our customers could prove to their customers that they could have trust in their data security. So one a good story that I like to tell is that before I even started at Drata, but we went live in January of 2021. And before Drata went live, we told ourselves that we need to have our own SOC 2 audit in our hands, because if we're going to be selling SOC 2 preparation and SOC 2 compliance, we better you know eat our own dog food, for lack of a better phrase here. So we wanted to start off with trust. We wanted to start off with integrity because we knew that in order for us to sell that to our customers, we had to live that every day. So that's a good story I just like to show as an example of how of how we're building that trust with our customers on a daily basis. Troy, I'm often asked the question of when should a startup institute controls? Now, typically, that's not a data security controls question. It's a financial controls or compliance controls question. But I want to flip that a little bit because many companies will say, we can't find an organization that can give us the basics, but have the same ability to scale up with us. So how does the Drata platform scale up with a company as it grows? So the beautiful part about Drata is we have an amazing engineering team here. Every single day, every single week, we are building integrations with many cloud service providers, many new technologies on a daily basis. Right now, we have over 50 integrations that we integrate with and can pull data from and test controls from, and that's evolving every day. In addition, we're always adding new frameworks, right? So right now, we have SOC 2 and ISO. They're all on our roadmap to keep growing so that as our customers grow and get more customers and get more requests for compliance, we're going to be there ready ready to support them. So at the end of the day, it's building the integrations, implementing new controls in our system too, because I like to say that compliance is not always security, but we want to go beyond compliance at Drata, right? We want to build a security mindset into the platform that, hey, you know, you could do these controls and that's going to get you home on SOC 2 or ISO, but we want you to be secure. So here's some additional controls that we might want you to implement so you can be a more secure organization and meet the compliance standards at the same time. So we want to take them a step further and really get them going so that they can build 
a strong security program internally. I must say you really warmed my heart when you talked about continuous control monitoring. I started advocating that in anti-corruption compliance in 2009. So kudos, first of all. But <laughs> how does the Drata platform really assist in the data security area around continuous control monitoring? Yeah, that's a good question. So we'll start off what happens in a traditional audit, right? So let's pretend I was doing an audit for a customer that didn't have Drata, and we were testing a control for multi-factor authentication, right? So what would happen is we're doing a SOC 2 type 2 audit in December, and we go on site and do the audit in December, and we ask, can you provide me a screenshot from your AWS environment showing that MFA is turned on for all your accounts? And what happens is the client goes, they grab the screenshot, they provide it to me, and I say, yes, MFA is turned on. Fast forward to what happens when you're using Drata. With Drata, we have an integration into your AWS environment, right? So on a daily basis, we are monitoring your AWS environment, checking every single AWS account and saying, yes, MFA is turned on for all your AWS accounts, or hey, this new account that you just added doesn't have an MFA turned on, you need to turn it on right away. So we're allowing our customers to proactively manage their control environment by continuously monitoring certain controls and notifying them on a daily basis if the control is an exception or if it's operating effectively. So that when an auditor comes in, instead of just seeing that screenshot that shows it that one day, an auditor can see the control operated over a long period of time because we were testing that control, which in turn enhances the quality of the audit and the quality of our customers' internal control environments. So we've talked uh, a couple of times already about third-party risk, and I want to uh, ask you about the Drata solution and the Drata platform, not as a way to demonstrate compatibility or rather compliability with SOC 2, but how does the Drata platform help a company assess its third-party risk and then be able to turn around and show a, a contractor higher up the chain that, yes, we have managed our own data security risk, but we're also managing our own third-party data security risk. So within our platform, we have a vendor management page within it. And within that vendor management page, you can actually start monitoring your vendors, right? So a lot of our customers' vendors, you know, they can rank them high risk, medium risk, or low risk, right? So for all of our high risk and medium risk vendors, our customers can log in and track how well their, their customers are, or how well their vendors are meeting their security requirements, right? So for instance, if you're using AWS, Azure, GCP, you know, we have in our platform where you can actually monitor them, set them as high risk, and then you can upload any documentation that helps you support the monitoring of those vendors, right? So part of our control testing is to check that if the customer is monitoring their vendors appropriately. So when you get those security reports from your vendors and you upload them, we want to make sure they're also monitoring their vendors. So we provide them a template that allows them to you know, make sure they're reviewing the SOC 2 reports appropriately and identifying any risks or end user controls that they need to perform. So our, our platform is really going to allow them to keep track of all their vendors and then make sure that their vendors are maintaining appropriate security requirements on a regular basis. Troy, once uh, a uh, data security compliance professional moves to discuss these issues with senior management, board of directors, or someone higher up in the organization, they're often asked to present a visual representation of risk, of the prevention of risk, the detection of risk, and the, the mitigation of risk going forward. 
does the Drata platform have any visual tools that could help a CISO or da other data security professional if they have to engage in a discussion with, frankly, someone like me who has a legal training and not really a technical training? Yeah, so we do have many reports and dashboards within our platform. So one cool feature about Drata is that we have a ad hoc report that can be generated by our customers, right? When they generate this report, it's going to list all the, all the controls that we are testing and monitoring. And it's going to show, for lack of a better phrase, whether they're complying and meeting those control requirements for SOC 2 and or ISO 27001. Also within the Drata platform, we also have dashboards that show how many controls are failing, how many tests are failing, how many controls are passing right when you log into the platform. So we have really cool reporting and dashboarding that makes it very easy for somebody that might not have the cybersecurity knowledge to easily see where a compliance program is and where the gaps might be. And then we also, at any point in time, if a control fails, you can actually click into that control and go see what caused the failure. So you can actually see why the API, what returned in that API and why the control failed. So you can actually dig down and perform very good analysis on why something's failing. It's not just a green check mark or a red X. We actually show you the data behind why something's failing or passing. Troy, you talked about potential DOD rule that may come into effect in a tiered basis. And I really wanted to use that to introduce or at least ask the question is, verifiable documented data security compliance programs and or SOC certification, a business differentiator any longer, or is it just table stakes? It almost sounds like now it's the very minimum to do business with the government or perhaps other public corporations. Yeah, it's definitely table stakes at this point. I actually keep getting a lot of questions from auditors, from, from internal customers, they're asking, can we get a SOC 2 before we're even live? So a lot of these startups and these new companies are recognizing that SOC 2 is, is table stakes. And they're asking, we don't even have any customers yet. Should we do SOC 2? And I always tell them yes, because the idea of SOC 2 and ISO 27001 is that we're not necessarily auditing the type of data you have in the system. We're auditing the infrastructure, the monitoring, the risk assessment around the system and the controls you have in place. So whether the data is there and whether you have a customer won't really impact the audit. So it's definitely table stakes. And, and five years ago, I never got that question, but that question's coming up on a weekly basis. I get that question now, and it, it's a good question. It's great that people are starting to think about it. Hopefully, they have the budget to afford all uh, the right security. That's that's another question, but it's definitely table stakes for the time being. If I could turn to that veiled land called the future now and ask you, what do companies need to be thinking about in terms of data security, cybersecurity, SOC 2, 2701, into 2025, and perhaps even beyond from your perspective? So I think a big area to focus on is going to be this idea of zero trust. You might have heard of that, but zero trust is the idea is that never trust anybody and always verify. It's constant verification of a user. So whether it's based on where the connection's coming in from, their behavioral, while they're using the platform, if something changes, all these different factors are going into it where they have to keep authenticating. And as the workforce becomes more remote, the idea that somebody behind the, the keyboard is not the same person that was in your office is becoming a bigger question. So this idea of zero trust and implementing zero trust frameworks is only going to grow and it's gonna become more important. There's a big initiative 
with the executive orders about implementing zero trust to the government. And obviously, government systems are very complex and they're very legacy. And some of the numbers I'm hearing is that it's going to take minimum of two years before zero trust is really implemented the right way at the government level. I don't think it's going to take two years for the private sector, but still, it's not just something you can do overnight, right? You have to re-architect everything. You really have to have good checkpoints, good control points. But the future is definitely going to be zero trust. And of course, I work in Pittsburgh and my company's in San Diego, right? So I'm a perfect example of how the work, how the workforce is becoming remote, and it's going to continue to go that way. On this podcast, you get an extra special award if you actually give us the title of the podcast. And we now have The Future is Zero Trust, so well done. <laughs> we are coming up near the end, but I have a special bonus question. In researching you for this podcast, I noticed you went to undergrad and graduate school at The Ohio State University. Now, I, I won't bring up <laughs> the Oregon game, but I will share with you that I have attended <laughs> games at Ohio Stadium and it's probably one of the top three best places I have ever seen a college football game. I was coming from somewhere other than Ohio. <laughs> but one of the most moving things, they do two things I've never seen. One is they have a stadium cheer where they spell out O-H-I-O, and each section of the stadium stands up. But at halftime, they dot the I. And I wanted to ask you, what's the significance of dotting the I? And why is that in held in just such reverence in that stadium and indeed in the state of Ohio? Well, I don't know if I know the official answer to this question. <laughs> that probably makes me a bad Ohio State graduate. But I mean, I can tell you that football is, I don't know where you're from exactly, but football in Ohio, being from Cleveland, I'm, not, I'm also from Cleveland, right? So I'm a big Cleveland Browns fan. So football is kind of just as trust is Drada's ethos. Football is Ohio's ethos, right? You can't go anywhere without talking about football in the state of Ohio. So I, I don't know if I, I don't exactly know the history. And I should have looked it up before this. I'm sorry. But I could tell you that being an Ohio State grad, going to class on Monday after a loss is completely different than going to class on Monday after a win on a Saturday, right? So it's in our ethos, OHIO, that's the chant that we talk about. It's something that you never forget and you live and breathe it. But yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a good answer for why the, the eye is dotted the way it is. But we like our band, too. We have the greatest band in the land. That's what they say as well. So the greatest football team, the greatest band. But yeah, let's let's not focus on the Oregon game. But it happens, right? So, so I went to one game in that stadium, and that chant is still memorable to me. So I certainly agree. Unfortunately, now we are at the end of our time, Troy. But I was wondering if our listeners wanted... Any more information on some of the topics you brought up today on Drata or perhaps a broader discussion around uh, data security and risk management, where could they go? The best place is drata.com. And I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn. So if you ever want to reach out and find out more about what I do or more about what Drata does, you can directly reach out to me on LinkedIn or, or see my posts, different compliance frameworks, or how Drata's continuous control monitoring is changing the audit and compliance space. Those are the two best areas to find Drata and myself. I enjoyed my, my time on here, Tom. And if you ever want to discuss zero trust, feel free to reach out. Well, thank you very much. And I may call upon you in the future to continue this discussion. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Tom. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.